0: All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome
1: back. This is uh Science in Between. Look
0: at us. Look at us. And I'm Scott.
1: And I'm Ollie.
0: Yay, look at us.
1: It, all the check boxes right there. We tick, got tick, all tick. Uh, t- Yeah, look at <laughs> us. Like professionals. Like champs. Yes. Like bosses. <laughs> Darn straight. What? <laughs> <laughs> We're okay. like patting ourselves on the back way too much for just for hitting, hitting an introduction. Of, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, we we have successfully introduced this the, the episode. Sad little <laughs>
0: bit of professionalism that makes us proud of ourselves.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, right. look at us.
0: Oh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but um, I, uh, our prognostication came true about last episode. Did you see that? What was that? that it was released as untitled episode for two days (laughs) and i think we actually said two days (laughs) and we're like yeah it'll probably be two days and then it'll get fixed and it was two days later and i was like i'm pretty sure that got released and i didn't do the show notes for it so uh so some of you got uh last episode uh titled untitled episode those of you who downloaded it later got insert your title here as the right. Episode. So it's kind of like
1: like DIY. It's like give yeah. yourself. You should title this right. You know that's what I, it's that's em- what I'm trying it's to in- communicate. It's empowering the listeners, and yes, I appreciate I'm giving
0: them agency to title their own episodes because they don't really need our titles. No,
1: they don't need us to make meaning for them. No, right, no, right.
0: That's what they're there for is to make the, meaning. Right, right. Exactly. Because yeah. we're sense making people. That's
1: what oh, we are as human beings. All,
0: all people are, yeah.
1: Yes. You know, and us putting a title, that just, you know, sets artificial boundaries for them.
0: Yeah. yeah. We don't want that. We don't we, we should don't, just we don't m- want to limit our people. We want them to be unlimited. We should just not title them from now on. <laughs> Every no. episode is no. <laughs> untitled episode. <laughs> untitled episode 114 untitled episode 150
1: yeah oh that untitled episode 123 that was a good one that was a great one (laughs)
0: 123 it wasn't prime but it was good
1: (laughs) uh all right so what are we talking about today I i have an idea let's talk about talking
0: how about if we talk about talking ollie yeah that's a great
1: idea This is this came up in a class recently. I was I was talking to I was doing some observations with my students and they were uh, uh, one of which was doing a class discussion and she's very energetic. She's going to be a great teacher because like already she has all of the, you know, the making. She's really motivated. She's really has a great classroom presence. Um, but I I was watching her lead this classroom discussion, and it was all the IRE stuff. And it was like a student would say something, and she'd be like, Yes, right answer. Good job. She was like, So enthusiastic. You nailed it. Uh, You nailed it. Awesome. And she was, you know, trying to do a, 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 you know, be you know, giving positive feedback and really, sure. you know, supporting her students. Um, and from that point of view, you know, she nailed it, right? And then right. but after I was like, okay, we need to have a conversation about like classroom discourse because you're missing so many opportunities. It's like you're having one one on one conversations with, you know, 30 students in your class. Yeah. And you're you're missing lots of opportunities to bring in. And in this class, there is one student in particular. Who just was like, I, this is my class. I am Mm going to answer every question that this teacher asks. And so I really, I knew the student's name by the end of the period. Like that's, I was there for 40 minutes and I knew two students' names, right? And that, you know, if you're coming in and observing a class and you learn that like there's there's only a couple of reasons why that could happen.
0: That's right. <laughs> you sure. know? It's a bimodal distribution for why why that happens.
1: Right. It's either because the students are really good at participating yep. and really engaged, or they're not. Or yeah. they're having
0: a problem that day.
1: Yeah. So I thought, well, I mean, we've talked about this before, especially like going back a bunch of episodes, probably like maybe, you know, maybe like almost a hundred episodes ago. Um you know, talking about IRES versus IRFs and all that. Um, but, you know, that's those aren't the only things. Like, that's like just like you know. So I thought we we dig into this a, l- a little bit more and talk about like a primer on classroom discourse.
0: Yeah, so we could talk about whether it's primer or primer, but that's not a thing.
1: I think right it's today. primer.
0: I think uh, it is primer. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I th- I'm just saying I think that's um, that is a a point of contention. I think there are areas of the country that would say it's primer, and there are areas of the country that would say it's primer.
1: So I distinguish for, be, between like this the paint primer, you prime mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. but a primer being something that you know comes before. I'm, I'm not like, disagreeing with you. I'm just saying
0: there are people of good uh good character who disagree about the <laughs> pronunciation of that particular word in this. People
1: could disagree. Yeah. Well, you know what we should do is we should pronounce it both ways during this episode. Just, way, just
0: to confuse people or yeah.
1: Primer, primer.
0: So yeah. what we are going to talk about though, primer or primer, is uh we're gonna talk about discourse. We're gonna talk about talk. And um, and there's lots of good reasons to talk about talk. One of one of them, just so we're stating this up front. I mean, both of us in our research work have have used discourse analysis as part of our approach to understanding learning, right? So we we study discourse. Um so it's not it's not a um it's It's not a surprise that we'd be interested in discourse, but the other reason is, is much more practical, which is the one that you're talking about, um, which is that really what we're talking about in changing in science classrooms. Yeah, I know I did it, um, is, is how kids and teachers, but particularly kids, um, talk in classrooms, but that requires teachers to talk differently, um, too. So I think really, um, that's what we're talking about, and just briefly, IRE and IRF um, initiate, response, and evaluate. Is IRE? It's a very traditional mode of of classroom discourse. And IRF what my student is... was doing, right? Was my... Yeah. Go ahead. And IRF just changes out evaluation for feedback, which is not a huge change in the whole system. It just is. It just opens it a little more. But but the idea is that those kinds of exchanges typically. You, you anybody who's been in classroom has seen this. Teacher asks a question. Students answer the question. Student asks answers the question. Teacher evaluates the student's answer. That was good. What's What's the definition of of uh, inertia? Blah, and I get it. Nope, sorry, Ali, that was a good effort, but not quite. I'm going <clears throat> to else, right? Yeah. Or great job, Ali, you nailed it. Um, but that pattern of discourse is really common in classrooms, and it's one of the patterns we're trying to break when we talk about more ambitious types of instruction. And and the only way for us to
1: really gauge what students know is by you know having conversations with them. And giving, you know, not just like low, you know, the the sort of like low level questions where the students are just like parroting responses, but ones that are gonna like have them apply things in new situations and really starting to think about things from different points of view, because that's how we uncover what students are really thinking. And so when we do these like, you know, simple like, hey, what 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 is the I don't know, what's the oxidation state for this thing, you know, then they answer it and it's like check. They have a full understanding, but the reality is they probably might not.
0: You know? Yeah. Well, they almost for sure don't. Because and certainly from that question, you don't know what they have an understanding of because right. they're they're able to just pare it back whatever the thing is that you're looking for. So you know whether they know that particular detail in the particular way that you want to hear it, but you know nothing about their actual understanding. So yeah. so this idea of if we really want to teach this way, we have to understand what kids are thinking and how they're understanding things. Um and you don't get that from questions that have very specific, clear, unambiguous answers. Um you have to have more complicated kinds of talk if you're going to talk to kids about their ideas.
1: And and that means not just not just setting up the class differently, but also asking questions differently and seeing questions as as openers to ask more questions and not just evaluate and also seeing those responses as being opportunities to bring in other students to the conversation so you're like really you know leading a a big classroom conversation where you're trying to you know get all of the students or many students to 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 bring their ideas to the table and discuss things and challenge you know, their ideas. And so, you know, we'll, we'll share some of the stuff with, uh, in the show notes, but I think the AST, the ambitious science teaching site doesn't, uh, does a really good job of providing some resources for this. And, and I think this is some of the stuff that came up in a workshop that you and I led just, you know, maybe a week ago or, or, or two ago, um, around this kind of stuff, like listening students ideas, how do we do this through conversation? And so, you know, we, and I think this also came up with, uh, when we talk about back pocket questions, you know, these questions that we have, you know, Pocketful of Questions, I think, was the episode that yeah. we actually named that one. You
0: know? oh, dude, it's bad enough that I did it. Can, <laughs> do we have to keep revisiting?
1: No, I'm just saying. It was a, a, it was a named episode called A Pocketful of all, Questions.
0: All the episodes are now named. I just want to be clear. <laughs> There are no unnamed episodes. <laughs> All right. So, so I think one
1: of the things that uh, I talked about in that episode was the, the, my, you know, t- can you tell me more about that? You yeah. know, you know, what do you mean? You know, those are all like probing questions, questions right. that you're trying to like probe the students to not just give you the response. This is, like, these probing questions are, are always ones where you're trying to further unpack what the students know. And you do this, you know, by, you know, asking these questions and, and trying to like, I don't know have the students explain in more detail what they, so these aren't really great for like, you know, questions where it's like, you know, a single response, right. It's like these right. clothes, you know, you know, what's the, what's the oxidation state for this? Well, tell me more about that. No, mm-hmm. no. Tell it's me like, more about uh, that. yeah, it doesn't really work in that situation. Yeah. No. Um, but I think that, you know, um, that's a really good thing for you just to, you know, be ready to throw out in any time a student responds to like an open-ended question. You know, right. Yeah.
0: It, I, I think it's, um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but I think it's worth noting that there are um, two two important categories here in terms of questions that are even bigger than the sort of pressing probing, the ones that you're talking about, which I think we, we'll talk about in detail too. But um which is the sort of generic versions of these, and then the specific versions of these, so right. so the examples you're giving are really important generic examples, right like uh tell me more about that. <clears throat> can you give me an example um you know can you can you what evidence did you see for supporting that as an idea, things like that are sort of generic uh presses probes um you know, encouraging uh, ways of asking kids to think more about their ideas. But one of the things that I think is a really difficult second skill. So that's sort of the first level. And then if you want to level up a little, the next level up is asking specific questions that draw on the the specific idea that the kid has had. So in the example we we did with this professional development, there was this thing about, well, we've got a bag full of ice and the ice melts. Does the does the bag weigh less, more or the same after the ice melts in the bag? And so kids say something like, well, I think I think the um, the the ice weighs less than the um, than the water. And so it, you can say, OK, can you say more about that? Or you can be a more explicit probe of that to say, OK, explain to me. Physically, in terms of the atoms, why it would be that the the ice weighs less than the water. Right. Right. And that's a very different kind of press or probe.
1: Yeah, because you're you're helping them, you know, narrow their focus down to a specific thing and saying, okay, from this perspective, you know, make sense of this.
0: Right. Here's here's a particular piece that I really want you to focus your attention on, as opposed to if you say, can you say more about that? The kid can say whatever they want, which in many cases is good, like especially if you're doing initial sort of getting their thinking out onto the table. um, Generic tends to be better because you're really trying to keep it open because the problem with the second kind of probe and the reason why it's sort of a level up is. What gets built into that is your assumptions about the reasoning that the kid is doing. And so sometimes that can be bad because you make an assumption that the reason the kid thinks that the ice is heavier than or lighter than the water is because, I don't know, whatever you think, Um, maybe because you think they know that ice floats and therefore it's got to be lighter, right? Right. Well, if you ask your question based on that, you may actually not get the kid's understanding because now the kid is thinking, "Wait, that's not what I was thinking." But let me think about that now for a minute and and decide how I would answer that question. So it so it is a bit of a tap dance when you get those more specific probes. So there is, it, it does take a little more nuance, a little more practice to get good at um, doing that without. Without leading, because I think that's one of the things we'll probably talk about too, Yeah, is, is not leading kids. Yeah, I, I have a, a yes
1: but here. Oh, um, do you? I yes do. But. Well, I mean, I think that asking the specific questions can – offers like a really – um Comforting perspective to teachers who say, well, then, you know, this ambitious science teaching thing is a free for all like kids can bring mm. any idea to the table, right? Mm. If they're saying it's like, oh, this is happening because of little tiny green men, you know, then that's a something that we could we have to, you know, yeah, set up have in to it. say, okay, yeah. So, yes, it's, it's great that we can do this and offer these specific questions to help narrow the focus so that not everything can be discussed or examined from an evidence based perspective. The but comes from the but you have to know your students to do this, right? You have Mm -hmm. to know because you if you're say let's talk about the atoms, you have to know whether the students have a really good understanding of atoms or be ready for to do further, you know, investigations to be able to see what students know about atoms, you know. So you can't just like go, okay, I want to focus in on this thing that maybe students have no, you know. Solid understanding of it all, right. or that you think that they do, and then you uncover that they really don't. Now yeah. that's a that's a good thing, right? Because you understand that like a little bit more uh, out of their you know their reasoning. But the challenge is that I think that some teachers they're they're the two ends of the continuum. That some teachers think my, my students don't know anything about this subject, right? Or my students really know a ton about this subject. Both of those are are challenging start places to start from.
0: Yeah, though I think it's worth really thinking about even those statements, right? Because you do hear those statements from from teachers about, well, well they don't know enough, so I've got to teach them stuff so they can reason about it. And then, oh, my kids are going to ask all these questions because their parents have already told them about what inertia is, and so they're going to know that when we come into class. Well, I mean, I think the thing that that fundamentally misses is that we actually – on some level don't care what the kids know. What we're trying to do is get them to reason about what they do know and what they're trying to figure out. And the reason that's important is because the kids who you think don't know anything, they can still reason about ideas. They can still reason through with some with some basic understandings of what's going on with the phenomenon. They can reason about it and they can have ideas about it. And the kids on the other end of the spectrum who who know these vocabulary words, well, they almost never have any real understanding of them. And and so forcing them to reason about those things are, are important. So, yeah, it's possible that kids, quote-unquote, know or don't know stuff, um, but that really is almost irrelevant in the sense that what, what you're trying to do isn't about knowing, it's about the process of reasoning through and understanding your own ideas. Yeah. So... So we talked a little bit about probing,
1: right? The the idea we that we're, yeah, probing them for, you know, further explanations or, you know, re- to to really unpack their reasoning. Um, and there's also pressing, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, ambitious science teaching breaks these down into two separate, you know, I think, you know, we kind of would use these similar because they have similar um, endpoints, right? They do have yeah. – uh, um, and some of the questions may seem similar, but I think that the 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 pressing, you know – can be a little bit more from, you know, trying to challenge the students to, you know, evaluate the response from like a, you know, what, what evidence are, th- are they, you know, bringing to bear on this? Like, mm-hmm. okay. So like, what evidence did you see here? What did you notice in this situation that led you to that conclusion, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, pressing them on, other ideas they may have or have shared in other circumstances. Well, you remember a few months ago, we were talking about this. Do these Mm -hmm. two things relate or how do they relate? Or I remember you saying this then, you know, yeah. but that would seem inconsistent or is it consistent? Like using those, you know, previous, you know, events or previous explanations to like press them or challenge them to, you know, think about it from a different perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think probing is about getting kids ideas out. So what is your thinking and pressing is about clarifying. Why do you think that? So now that I've got your idea out that you think water is lighter than, or heavier than, than ice. Okay. So I've got that idea out there. Now I want to know, why do you think that? Can you, can you give me an example? Can you, can you explain that to me? Um, in more detail and clarify some of the pieces that you're, you're thinking about there. So it's really pressing is about sort of the clarification and expansion. No, maybe not expansion, but clarification and, and making, making their reasoning more clear. So it is more about the why than it is about the, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah. I think that's a good way of, you know, differentiating those two,
0: you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And then, and then go ahead. Oh, good. Well, I was going to skip to a new one, so I want to hear what you were saying. No,
1: I, I was going to skip to a new one. So, <laughs> no, no I, I'm skipping to a new one.
0: Um, so the the next one, just so you know, these are coming from a, a that that primer, 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 primer uh, discourse primer. Uh, that's that's posted on the AST website, and we'll put that in the in the show notes. But you, the, but it's a resource available to you. Um, but but the next one that they talk about is revoicing, and I think we've talked about this certainly in the past. But um, but this is a critical uh, a, a critical piece that that a lot of um, people are beginning to play with AST. This is often one of the things that they start with. Um, but it's this idea of restating the kid's idea. But it, it even that is a very subtle task, right? Because what you do not want to do is correct it. Right. In, in your revoicing of it. Right. So it's not, you know, they talk about repairing it, making it correct. Right. So so um, so it is tricky because what you want to do is say it back to the kid in their own words so that that student knows that you heard them. Right.
1: Yeah. And we were showing a, in that workshop last week, we were showing a video in which somebody was leading uh, a lesson and they, the student used uh, a term. And then the teacher completely replaced it with a different term because it was like, yes. "Oh, that's not that's not the term I want to use." And right. so, like when he said, when the teacher said, "Well, you know what I hear you saying is this," and completely used a different term, yeah. um, and it was replacing something like in that everyday language that kids would use with something that was more scientifically based. And I could almost hear the student go, "Well, that's not what I said," yeah. you know.
0: Right. And not only that, but I think I agree. And then also saying, oh, and what I said was wrong, yeah. right? Which which goes back to this, this problem with the IRE and this evaluative language, right? Because one of the key things that all of this discourse has to do in your classroom is it has to build a sense of trust and safety where kids have to feel like if I put an idea out on the table, even if it's a crazy, wacky idea, it's going to be taken seriously until we decide right. that there's not evidence for it or the reasoning's weak or whatever. But it's not, I'm not going to get dismissed because the idea is coming from me. It's like, oh, Ollie's got this stupid idea and and I don't want to hear it or I'm going to correct it. So this idea that really it's incredibly important to preserve that sense of safety and trust.
1: Yeah. And and the in the the challenge, I think, as teachers is that sometimes we're going to get those Ollie's who bring the ideas to the classroom that are like really far out there, right? They're, they're yeah. like, you're just going, well, how could that? How could Ollie even believe that? How could he even right? think that? Well, right. And then you're the tendency is for us to then go to Scott, who always knows the right answer.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, especially because like, Scott's got his hand up.
1: Right. Because Scott pick is me. like, pick yes. Pick <laughs> he, he, and then you're like, okay, I'll, let's go to Scott. Let's go. What do you think about that? Yeah. Ollie's completely wrong. <laughs>
0: here's the definition of inertia.
1: Yes. And, and you're like, yeah, as a teacher, you're like, yes, thank yes. You. Thank you. No, Scott. No.
0: We've, we've been corrected. I didn't have to correct anybody. Scott did the correcting for me.
1: And Ollie is never going to participate again no. in class.
0: And probably going to punch Scott on the playground later.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Ollie's going to get a thumping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean that's the thing, I I, and I think that's the well, I mean that's the um, uh, that would be the next thing is to think about like how we engage a whole classroom of people in this rather than us just talking because you know a lot of this is I'm I'm you're get a response from a student then you follow up with the student and that's i think when i think about irf i always think about i would like us to talk about it, like follow up instead of feedback mm-hmm. because like how do you follow up with a student like what kind of thing do you do and from the follow up it could be like directing it to another student um sure. so that a student you know scott answers the question and you go okay you know mary what do you think about this what do you think about what scott said do you think that has merit or what do you think uh, can you see evidence of that in you know and mm-hmm. then getting them to, like, right, not really debate, but, like, build ideas off each other. And we could actually think about that as maybe even a starter for some of this to provide some – because some of our students are really uncomfortable talking about ideas in a big classroom setting. Mm-hmm. And so starting out with, like, you know, these – I mean, the think pair of shares are always the easiest, like, starting yeah. point. Like, like, have a student. Think. And that's the important part is the thinking. Just mm-hmm. Think for a second, you know, and maybe even write down an idea or two. Yeah. Forcing commit those them,
0: ideas. Yeah.
1: yeah. And forcing them to like just take a few minutes and write down some ideas before they start talking. Because we have those extroverted students who are like, yeah. right? And who want to just start talking without, you know, really thinking it out. And then those introverted students who maybe a little more need a more time to think about it are like, they're just processing their ideas and listening at the same time. That's like, you know, crazy chaos for them. Mm-hmm. um, But so getting that to start and have this conversation, you know, one-on-one or in small groups and then bringing it to the f- the full, you know, classroom is, is I think a way to like scaffold that a little bit better so that it's just not like full classroom right from the beginning. You know? Right.
0: Yeah. And we, and I think we even had an episode about this, but, but this idea that small groups tend to be the place where you're doing generative work, where the students are generating new ideas, thinking through new thinking. And then the large class, the focus of that discourse is about consensus building. So there is a sense of like the discourse moves that happen in large group are going to be different than the small group ones because they are going to be at the the point that you're having a, a large class conversation. Typically, the individual groups that have been talking have different ideas or at least are articulated differently. And so your job is to sort of help the groups negotiate a shared sense of meaning, right? Whereas in the small groups, you're often pushing for clarity, like what's your idea? What does it mean? Why do you think that? There's less of that at the large group level, because at the large group level, what you're trying to do is saying, oh, Ali has this idea and here's how he's thinking about it. You know, Scott, how how are you thinking about it? And and is it the same as Ali's? Is it different? Can we talk through that and see, um, you know, who has evidence for for what and and then see what the other groups have to say about it? So there is this difference of generativity at the at the small group and consensus building at the large group that mirrors the scientific you know community in in that that's how that works too like publications are sort of that large consensus building thing but the small research groups are generating new ideas
1: i think one of the things we we, we've talked a little bit about this already is like some of the things that are going to be challenges for us as teachers like one of which is like hearing you know wrong answers and how do we react to wrong answers? Like wrong in the sense of, yes. you know, not canonical. Right. <clears throat> right. Um, but like, you know, how do we deal with that? And, but I think the, the, you know, the other things that we have to think about is, you know, how do we, how do we deal with a situation where students aren't responding at all? Mm. Like, like they just have no, no Voice, no, no, like, because we've both been in a situation sure. right, where we've asked, a, you know, a, done something, asked a question or, at you know, done some sort of demonstration or, you know, shared a phenomenon. And then it's just like crickets. Yeah. And you're standing yep. there, you know, and, you know, we, I don't know what the wait time research is like yeah. five to eight seconds. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> right. But like, yeah, I
0: think it's 10 seconds is the, but yeah, the, the the point I think you're trying to make is like when you're when you're teaching, sometimes you ask a question, you do a thing, and and even in a class that, you know, maybe just minutes before was having great conversations, it was talking, right. talking, talking, all of a sudden it's just dead silence. It's like yeah. you it's like you've dropped a, something really gross in the punch bowl and everyone's like, Well, well why'd uh, you do that, that, man? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> we were doing great. And and then you went and did that. And now, now we're all feeling uncomfortable and weird. Um, But I think it goes back to this idea of like, okay, well, what's the problem here? Well, the problem likely is kids um, are not sure. Right. Right. And as a result, they don't want to just blurt something out because they don't want to be wrong and be embarrassed. So even in the most... You know, even in the best classrooms where you have the most trusting environment, you're never going to get to the point where kids are always feeling comfortable there. So so what you have to do is take that step back and say, okay, like they don't know what to say. I need to give them some time and I need to give them some time to generate, which means that. You know, goes back to either the think, pair, share, or small group, or something where they're a smaller, safer environment where they can think about something for a few minutes before I ask them right. to share out to the whole class. So that that can f- take lots of forms, but this idea of like, okay, clearly, what I've done here is I've asked them something that that they can't answer. Um, You know, in a way that makes them feel safe because either they think there's a right answer or because they just don't know how to think about it. They don't understand the question. Who knows? There are many reasons why you get that crickets response. But the response for you as a teacher is to work through that discomfort and say, okay, it looks like this is a time when you guys need to do a little thinking before we can talk about it. So get out a piece of paper, get out your lab notebook, jot a few notes, and then right. talk to your friend.
1: What? Yeah. So uh, this is going to be a, a tangent, but I think we're bo- like both comfortable with this. So, like, uh there's an ep- like uh, a baseball, you know, talk show I was watching like I don't know a couple years ago, and they had Pete Rose on, and Pete Rose oh, was beautiful. talking about uh what happens when a, a a a batter, a hitter, goes into a slump. He's like, well, if you go into a slump, there's you know only X number of things of. A- uh, a batter needs to do to end a slump. He's like, you know, you know, reach up on the bat, you reach down on the bat, you change your stance, you do this, you know, you should change how close you are to the plate, how far away you are from the plate. So he's just like looking at it really methodically and just going, you know, these are the things you need to do. And I was like, this is fascinating. Mm. And, but I think the same thing, not the same thing, but the, the right. same approach, Analogies. it should be what we, we do as teachers. If we're getting crickets in their classroom, the, the, the thing you, and, and even Pete Rose goes, well, you don't want to do this because that's what got you to baseball, you know, <laughs> right. like you don't want to like, and I think it was the stance. It was like, you don't want to change how you swing the bat or how you, cause that's what, uh, that's what makes you a good hitter. So yeah. y- what you don't want to do as a teacher is just say, oh, we well, you clearly, you know, Here's the right answer. Here's, and then yeah, and, let me just tell you rightly just tell you, because that's the that's the thing that, you know, that is setting the classroom discourse. That's the thing that is like setting the classroom culture, questioning and asking hard questions. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, how what's the next right thing to do? And sometimes that might be restating the question in a different way or realizing that the question you've asked is like, you know a 10,000 foot question and maybe you want to go to a 5,000 foot question or you want to have them sit and write for a few minutes individually and then change it. I mean, because this all comes from, you know, some sort of position of safety. And if we're going to create this safe environment, we sometimes have to, you know, change the dynamics to make them feel safer. Right. That was a really long response. But I think that recognizing that when there's crickets. The crickets are, you know, something that is telling you that the, the the class isn't safe or students aren't feeling safe.
0: Right. And and I think your point too about um you know the initial gut response is okay. Well, this is too hard for them to figure out, so I'm going to just right. tell them the answer. Like that is the thing you must shun at all costs um, because when you do that. Um, You do all sorts of bad things, right? I mean, one, you you position yourself as the authority in having the right answers, but you also <clears throat> exhibit a lack of confidence in your students' ability to think about these problems, right? So when you say to them, hey, this is hard, uh, and I, but I'm confident that you all can think through this, so I'm going to give you a little time because I think this is not about you can't handle it. It's just that you need a little time right. to handle it. Yeah.
1: And I think how, how you react to that is the critical thing. Cause like, if you're just like, okay, okay, well let let, okay, let's just pull it here. Okay. Here's the right answer. This is the right answer. I'm I'm sorry. Here's get your notes out Write down this thing. Yeah. I have 17 PowerPoint slides. Yeah. To answer the question. Yes. You know, and, and I I will say this here's, here's something that just, I just feel like this is something that needs to be said only because it came up in one of my classes this recently is that, you know, Often we we talk about safe spaces in our classrooms and we're talking uh, mainly from like a safe space for people to like share their ideas and, and wrestle with ideas and be wrong and, you know, and be willing to revise their, their, their understanding. But, you know, I, I just blogged on this recently that sometimes the outside gets in Mm -hmm. is that sometimes even though our, our best efforts to create safe classroom spaces, We can only control so much because, like, the students are coming to our classrooms with, with having interacted with other kids in the room, Mm -hmm. with interacting with other people in the school, with coming in with other ideas of what science is based on their experiences with other science teachers, Mm -hmm. you know, or with their parents or whatever, right? And so that is all going to impact the classroom environment, regardless of our efforts, and that we just have to be willing to understand that. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that we just throw our hands up in the air and say, ah, well, I can't control all of those variables, so I'm just not going to do it. But it does give you a different like understanding and and willingness to kind of work through that stuff is recognizing that sometimes students are going to be coming with, you know, other things that could impact the environment that you're trying to create.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's almost like kids are actually complete normal human beings just yes. like us. It's <laughs> yeah. almost like that. I, you know, sometimes <laughs> you have to say, wait, is that even possible that children could be fully formed humans that have like complex lives, both internal and external that we might have to consider when they come into our classroom? Uh, I, you know?
1: Well, I mean, that's what, it ha- that's what it happened to me I recently. I was just like – uh, and it, no, it happens and, all the
0: time. It's it, it, it has nothing
1: to do with me or my class. Like this yeah. whole thing, this just just went out.
0: Right. Boom. And it well, had
1: nothing, I mean,
0: it, it, I mean, you see it with your own children, right? Right. 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 Oh my it's,
1: gosh, all the time. Yeah. Or all your spouse
0: time. or whatever. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, are we having a fight right now because of something that I did, or that something that's going on with you because of right. like s- external stuff that I just don't know about and you're not telling me about, right? And then so, you realize of that often in classrooms far
1: more times it has nothing to do with us right uh, well this
0: is the egocentric nature of the human being right right that we always think that the reason things are happening is because of us right that we're we're the we're the x factor in any given scenario um and and i don't mean that uh, you know i want to be careful i i think that is actually genuinely the case that we have this psychology piece to us where um we assume we have a larger effect on, on environments and other people than we actually do. Um, but, but I agree. I think it's, it's really interesting. And, and I I want to say one other thing, sorry to take a big step back, but the, the other thing I want to talk about, because it came up a lot in the PD that we were doing was this idea of what a misconception is, right. Uh, and yeah. how, how pernicious that notion is even You know, that you really need to take a step away from the idea of thinking of kids' ideas as misconceptions. And we've talked about this in a million different ways. But if that's in your head, that students' non canonical ideas are misconceptions, that therefore they need to be unmisconcepted, right? They need to be, they need (laughs) to be. Correctly totally made up a word there. Yeah, I did. I I did. It was a good word though. Un, unmisconcepted. <laughs> yes. I, I feel like I, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm, I've been un, unmisconcepted. Um. So, uh, but that idea of like, oh, these are these are problems to be fixed, right? right. Rather than. These are resources, and we talk about that all the time. Like these are reasoning resources, these are things that kids are are working their way through, and and they're gonna bring up ideas that are not scientifically canonical for a million reasons. Adults do it, kids do it, everyone does it because this is how you reason the way you get to the to a clearer understanding is through a less clear understanding. You have to articulate it and examine it. And so when we see those things as misconceptions, it's just it's it's makes all of these discourse moves very difficult if if in the back of your head what your what you think your job is is to clarify misconceptions.
1: So I started reading that book that you suggested. Mm. I don't know whether it came up in an episode, didn't it? Or was that off episode? I think it came up in the episode. There it is. Yeah. How minds change. How minds change. And uh, I started reading it and, and here's the, the, I think this is the, the big takeaway. This is, I, I don't mean to steal the whole thunder of the book.
0: Yeah. Plus we're going to do an episode on, so you just we, better not yeah. steal too much thunder.
1: But I I would say if this is the, the, uh, the big thing in there is that we can't change anybody else's mind except for our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to do like, we are the people, not as teachers, like teachers and as teachers if we're, we we want to change a a student's mind on something and help them see something from a different perspective they have to do the work we yeah. can only just you know facilitate that orchestrate that we the only mind any of us can change is our own
0: yeah no it's true and i think that it is incredibly important especially if you think of teaching as creating a context where people can change their minds i mean that really is what teaching is right you're trying to create an environment or a context or a classroom culture where changing your mind is not only the goal but it's it's seen as a good thing because that's the other thing that he talks about in this book is is that idea that like changing your mind is bad you're a flip-flopper right like if you're not committed to your beliefs then then that's bad and so this idea of right it's not only right and wrong which i think we fight against that dichotomy but it's the idea that my idea is right and therefore i'm going to stick with it
1: yeah and that changing your mind or changing how you view things is somehow a failure yeah you're a
0: weaker person
1: yeah you're a weaker person because you've changed your mind with you know seeing new evidence makes you revise your ideas and it's like hold on now maybe that's not the case, you yeah. know.
0: Yeah, it might yeah. might actually be the case that changing your mind is is an indication of a strong mind, right? Yeah. Of of a thoughtful reflective person that if all you ever do is is take a position or take an un- understanding and say this is always going to be correct forever, um yeah. that's actually unhealthy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Turns out. Yes.
1: I think unhealthy would probably be the best way to describe. Yes. We'll
0: des- <laughs> we'll describe it that way.
1: So so we have just to kind of review before we wrap up, we have uh, you know, pressing, uh, probing. These are, you know, some of uh, just to kind of review some of these discourse moves, you know, pressing and probing, and then uh revoicing, you mm-hmm. know, being careful to to revoice, but you know, not you know, change. And then also prompting these peer-to-peer talk. Try to get students to talk with one another. So those are four really important discourse moves that we as teachers, especially science teachers, uh, need to tap into.
0: Yep. Indeed. Boom. Boom. Talking about talk. Talking about talk part one. We're probably going to have to have a part two. Right. Who knows when that will happen. Untitled episode 123 might
1: be it. Maybe may it. Yeah. That was my, that's my favorite future episode. Yeah, me
0: too. <laughs> I can't even wait till we get to that one. It better be good. after uh, all this.
1: Yes. I, I feel like that's going to be the high watermark of, you know, science in between.
0: Favorite future episode. Yes. All right. F E.
1: So, uh, what about joy? Do you have a joy? You want to start?
0: I have a joy. I have a joy. So, um, this weekend, um, my daughter and I were home just the two of us. And so when it's just the two of us, we have to figure out if we're going to watch a show, what show we're going to watch. And there's a lot of like looking at previews for different things. Are we going to watch a movie? Are we going to, so we always try and find something. And, and this weekend we found a show that, um, I hope, I hope it hasn't been recommended. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm wondering if you might've recommended it already, but I'm going to, did you recommend Reacher on Amazon prime?
1: No, I haven't. Oh, okay. No.
0: Okay. dodged it okay so um so what we started watching this weekend was reacher um which is the jack reacher character of the if if you're if you don't know the books the books were by lee child the first one um killing floor is old from the 90s um and it led to jack reacher um but the the Reach Your Movies with with, um, Tom Cruise are very different to the books. I mean, they've got some of the core of it, but they're quite different in many respects. Um, The television show really tries to... Cleave to the books much more directly. It's it feels much more like um, both the character. I mean, for one one thing, um, Tom Cruise, notoriously not a very big man, um, whereas Jack Reacher in the books it's, is is a is yeah. a beast, and the guy who plays him um, is a is a very big uh, yoked as they as the kids <laughs> say, dude. He is he is both tall and very uh, muscly. So um, so. And he plays the character, he's much more, um, uh, I don't know, much more of an investigator sort of than um, than I, th- I feel like Tom Cruise is in the movies. But anyway, we don't have to compare. What I will say is I've really enjoyed it. Um, the first season is, I think, just the first book, The Killing Floor book. Um, and it's uh, it's eight episodes. Uh, I think they're 45, 45 to 50 minutes each. Um, maybe an hour, I don't know. But anyway uh, their, their action investigation mystery sort of things. Uh, it's, it's really compelling watching. Um, he's the guy who plays Jack Reacher, um, is, is really funny and plays him really well. Um, does a good job in his sort of, you know, taciturn. I, I don't really speak. I don't have any emotions sort of, but every once in a while you get these like glimmers of, of his sense of humor and, and his, you know, feelings about the world. So, it's yeah, I I really have enjoyed it. It's uh, very entertaining. So that's my that's my joy for this week is Reacher.
1: You know the the odd thing is that I have uh, I've I've talked on numerous occasions about my love of those kinds of books, right? The yeah. the the, the lone, gray man, like the gray man, and and others, and I have not read a single Jack Reacher book. Oh. And the, there's a re, there's a reason oh. because I've I've always put the like I I want to read them in order, and there's like mm. thirty books or twenty four yeah, books or something. Yeah. And I've always – I've put in claims for the first book, and there's like this huge wait list in the library. And so even though it's on my my queue of things to do, it's always like, do I want to wait 12 months to start? I mean that's literally like it's that long of a wait to get that book. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. I, I need to just jump in because that's well,
0: well at this point you've waited more than twelve months, probably. Right. So you could have just I, I've waited my, just whole yeah. <laughs> my whole life. My
1: whole life. Yeah. All right. So I have I have a I have a T show TV show too. I have um the big brunch. Um hmm. so this is a new not even heard of this. Yeah. So that's see that's how you know how I roll. I'm on top of cutting end. edge. Cutting edge. Well, you know, it was something I read about in in the uh New York Times was uh this new cooking show, cooking. Competition mm-hmm. um, hosted oh, by Dan Levy, yeah. who is the Shits Creek guy yeah. right? and Daniel yeah. Levy. And so it's him and two friends of his. Like one's a writer for The New York Times and the other one is a a restaurant, restaurateur, restaurateur. From, from New York City. And the three of them like have brunch. And so they're sitting there drinking cocktails and they're working with like a host of – these chefs and and they're not all chefs because they're they're all come 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 from cooking from some place like one runs a like a like a soup kitchen another one runs a school another one does and so they're competing but it is like each one of these folks are like really uh they're activists not really activists in the you know the Mm -hmm. you know but they're really trying to promote change in their community. So they're all like coming at it from a really cool space. And so you get these, you know, 12 people together who all have really diverse backgrounds and really good hearts. And it's just like so like nice. It is like it's a competition show, but they're all like cheering on each other. It's kind of like, you know, the The first show American show that I've seen that's kind of taps into some of the heart of the great British baking show, which Mm. I'm also I'm also an avid watcher. Like that show is like so good natured, and everyone's always like, you know, when somebody leaves, they're like tears at the end. It's not like, whereas you watch Survivor, and it's just like,
0: yeah, like you like there's this. Kill those guys.
1: Right. There's this this thing, this visceral like hatred for the competitor. And it doesn't need to be that way. Like I think that. This is everyone's trying to do the best job they they can, and they're all like such good people, you know. And each week they have like a different theme, and and they, I I think that the the first three episodes are, are like available now, but more are going to be released. Um, going forward, but it is really just sweet and nice. And I'm a big fan of brunch. You know, I lo- I it's love. Not a, a big fan. <laughs> of brunch. I they're not friends of mine. I will say that if they're if they're not into brunch, they, c- they can't be a friend of mine. You know, give me some carbs. Give me a scone. Give me scone. a coffee. Well, you a, can have
0: some it, eggs in there too. You can get a little you protein can, say, going. Say,
1: yeah, yeah. Omelette, like a, an omelette. Do you go savory? Do you go sweet? Do you go both? Do you have a little bit of lunch or you have a little bit of breakfast? You know, it's like so many ways you can go. And cocktails, breakfast cocktails. Come on. The Paloma. The oh, Bloody Mary. the Paloma
0: is a nice one. Yeah. I don't even like grapefruit juice and I like a Paloma.
1: I like a Paloma. Yeah. And so Dan Levy, let's see. This is my testing your, your knowledge here. His first uh, order, uh, cocktail order, was a Caesar. Do you know what a Caesar is?
0: No, I only know the haircut, not the cocktail.
1: The Caesar is a Bloody Mary made with Clamato juice.
0: Oh, I have heard of that, but I didn't know it was called a Caesar. Caesar. That is yeah. interesting. Clamato juice. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I you want
0: to? You should. You should explain what Clamato juice is, because it's there like, are people out there wondering. Like they're frantically Googling.
1: They should Google it. They should Google it. Don't Google del- it. You can't unsee that. It's delicious. It is awesome. Yeah. Well, if you're into like clam juice, you know. Yeah. And
0: yeah. That's clam juice and tomato juice mixed together.
1: Yeah, it is awesome. It is yeah. so good. Yeah. So check it out the big brunch yeah check it out, it's, yeah, check it out. yeah it's on uh hbo max so okay uh, yeah for those of you who have that by H- the way
0: did you I,
1: hbo I, as my wife would
0: call it the H, H, that's it's, the Brit- <laughs> british pronunciation the hbo H- H- hbo <laughs> did you I, I i just this is a side a, a, an aside and we occasionally have asides on the show did Here there, yeah, yeah here and there <laughs> did you know what the max and hbo max is for
1: or is it Cinemax?
0: Yeah, I did not know that. I just thought it was like maximum. Like this is. Well, like I think Cinemax doesn't HBO. even
1: exist anymore. I think they just it like does ab- absorb the max of the Cinemax and just put it on HBO Max and run right. the day.
0: Yeah, I know, but I didn't know that. I, th- I so that was news to me when I heard that HBO Max was a combination of HBO and Cinemax. Yeah, well,
1: it they have all of the DC stuff, all of the uh, Cartoon Network stuff. stuff like, they have this art. Like, there's just so much streamable content on there. It is pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. You know? No, for sure.
1: And if you're like Studio Ghibli, all of that stuff is on there. Yeah. Like, and, you know, my kids are huge Studio Ghibli fans. Yeah. How can yeah. you not be? Yeah. My neighbor, yeah. Totoro. I mean, yeah,
0: come on. Totoro. There's, a, totoro. there's several
1: uh, yeah. Totoros in the house. My my wife has knitted some of them or crocheted <laughs> them. I don't know which is. Which... which
0: I think it's crocheted. I don't think yeah. you can knit a Totoro. Well, you could probably knit a Totoro, but it would have to be on something like knit oh, yeah. a Totoro sweater oh, or
1: something. Yeah. Yeah. And then she has crocheted. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good to All know. Right. So there we are. New, there we are. <laughs> new untitled <laughs> episode. An- another favorite
0: <laughs> untitled episode in the books.
1: Yes. No, this one shall get a title. It, it shall, shall because yeah. it's Ollie's responsibility
0: this week. So he's he's ten for ten in, in naming episodes. I'm like Woo. six for ten.
1: I, I think I think it might have something to do with the punch bowl. Yeah. You know, you're a you, reference of humans.
0: Yeah, I remember it. Huh?
1: Yeah, in case you remember.
0: <laughs> There's something right. in the punch bowl.
1: Something in the punch bowl. Yes. It is. <laughs> All wow. right. If there is something in your pipe, spot we'll catch it next time. <laughs> in
0: between, see you then. Bye now.